All right. Worship did us some good today. Awesome. Well, um, for those of you I haven't got to meet yet, my name is Kaylin. Uh, you might hear me called Kay around here. Um, I'm married to that guy who's sneaking out the back. <laughs> Doesn't want to listen. To, oh, just closing the door. Okay, that's fine. Married to him. Uh, we have two beautiful, I have two beautiful stepdaughters. They are his not stepdaughters, actual daughters. And, uh, <laughs> and we have our first baby together coming in October. Yay! So it has already been quite the joyful experience. And I'm not saying that sarcastically, it really has. <laughs> so we're very excited. Um, so are you guys ready for some revelation this morning? Yeah, I'm going to scoot back so I can see everyone in one sweep. So, all right. Awesome. Well, let's just pray real quick. So, Father, we just thank you so much for what you're going to do this morning. God, I just thank you for uh, Holy Spirit of revelation to come, to speak to every single person here. Um, would you guys make some declarations with me? I'm going to hear something I've never heard before today. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to me. The spirit of revelation is here and tangible. I'm going to leave here today with a fresh hunger for the Word of God. And Kaylin is going to say what she hears the Father speaking. Nothing more, nothing less. All right, amen. <laughs> yeah. So I've got to tell you this story. Um, back in, in early February, I was uh, just spending some time with the Lord praying like I do often. And um, all of a sudden, I just got this super strong desire to teach on forgiveness. It was like so overwhelming, just all of a sudden came out of nowhere, quote. And... Um, so I just, I was like, okay, Father, I just give that desire to you, and if that's, um, and I ask for an opportunity to be able to teach on forgiveness, whether that's in a one-on-one -on -one thing, or just with our kids, or if it's from the pulpit, Father, I just ask you for that. Well, that very afternoon, I get a text message, and the, the text message said, hey, Kay, would you be willing on May 21st to teach a Father's Heart message? <laughs> I was like, wow, okay, yes, I would, actually. So talk about turnaround time. Um, but uh, So I've been in great expectation and excitement about today because I really feel like the Father wants to say some stuff today. So we're just, let's just jump right in and talk about what is Father's heart. I just, I'm going to give a super fast overview of that, and we're actually going to talk more about forgiveness today. But Father's heart is a ministry that we began, um, was brought into the church back in 2005, I believe. And it started out with a, a, just a school, like a week-long school, and we would uh, learn about different concepts that kind of revolved around forgiveness. So to me, in a nutshell, what Father's Heart is, is that it's um, basically revelation and tools that helps us to heal our hearts, because as we live life, um, as we go through life, we get hurt, right? And, so, and as we're hurt, we can pass judgments and stuff like that, and so Father's Heart deals with forgiveness, dealing with roots, and the goal of it to me is to um, heal our view of who the Father actually is. Um, so in case through hurt we're seeing the Father through incorrect lenses, then he, the, the healing that comes through this is to, so that we can see the Father correctly. 
So, so the, the, that's the Father's heart message. Um, and so like I said, as, as we go through life, we get hurt, right? And so pain has to go somewhere, right? When we get hurt, pain has to go somewhere. Whether people mean to hurt us or we're just, what we um, receive from them is incorrect or whatever, we, we get hurt, it just happens, right? So pain has to go somewhere, but the cross is the only true source of healing. So we either take pain to the cross or we become bitter, okay? So let's look at Hebrews 12, 15. That says, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Okay, so that term bitter root there, you'll probably hear thrown around quite a bit in um, people who've been through Father's heart. Um, and, and that is basically a, a negative seed that gets planted in your heart when you choose not to take your pain to the cross. That's basically what that is. And that comes from the spiritual law of sowing and reaping. All right, so Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says, Don't be misled. You, you cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from their sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Okay, so there's um, spiritual laws that God set in place for our benefit, and they're just as real and tangible as physical laws, like the law of gravity, right? So whether you believe in gravity or not, or you're aware of it, you're actually reaping the benefits of gravity right now. And, and from, from conception until your last breath on this earth, you will be reaping the benefits of the law of gravity, Right, and so the same is, is true with spiritual laws that God set in place. So whether you're aware of those or not, you're going to be reaping from those spiritual laws, whether positively or negatively, depending on what you've sowed. Okay? And so this one of sowing and reaping is a big deal. So when we get hurt, we have a decision, and I like to say it this way. You either get bitter or you can get better. All right, so... So to get better, you have to take it to the cross because like I said, the cross is the only way that you can get true healing. So to take, something, to take pain to the cross, you don't have to like sit down and meditate and do the forgiveness prayer every time. You know, It doesn't have to be this huge, long process. It can just be an attitude of your heart, really, and become a habit. Um, so I love Psalm 133 through 4. One of, this is one of my favorite verses, actually. It says, If you, God, kept records on wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. And I can honestly say that in the past 11 and a half or so years since I first heard the Father's Heart message, I have really intentionally applied forgiveness in my life. Like, that's um, not like a look at me thing or whatever, but it was like, this is real. And this is the only way that I'm going to really love God. It's the only way I can truly love people. And it's the only way that I'm really going to walk in my full calling that God has for me is through forgiveness. And to fully open my heart up and say, Father, I give you permission to pull out all the bitter roots and stuff. Because a a lot of times before we realize what we're supposed to do with taking it to the cross, we can kind of get this backlog of, of negative roots, you know. Like through childhood, like you don't know. You don't know how to, how to give that to God a lot of times. But the cool thing is, the Holy Spirit can take you back to every single moment, and he can pull those roots up. Um, the thing about roots is, the longer that they're in there, the more established they get, and the harder it is to pull it out. 
Um, if you've done any garden work, and if you have to thin your plants sometimes, so you'll plant about seven seeds or so, and once they come up, you pull about three of them, you know. Well, if you do it early, they'll just like pluck right up and, and hardly leave any hole or anything. But once they get established, you've got to like get down there with both hands and pull it up, right? And it leaves this big gaping hole. Um, and that kind of happens in our hearts, honestly. But the cool thing is that even if you've left a gaping hole, the Holy Spirit's going to fill that in. And so I like to say you'll feel kind of raw for a little bit. <laughs> and that's just part of it. But in that rawness, there's so much peace and healing. And you have to, get, you have to move forward and get better. You've got to move away from the, the bitterness. So. Um, so, so like I said, I've really intentionally made forgiveness a habit from little things to big things, and I've invited the Holy Spirit into that process in my life um, to deal with the past things as well as the present things. From as little uh, things as people cutting me off in traffic to the big ones of, you know, the people that you're, you love the most hurting you unintentionally or intentionally, you know. And so I can say that this has been one of the most powerful, changing, life-changing things um, that I've done. And so I, I'm very excited to share this with you today. Um, so lately, in my journey of forgiveness and everything, I've realized that forgiveness is actually faith in the gospel. And forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. So what, what is the gospel, right? Well, the good news, the reason we're all here today, the, the truth that we accepted as our own, uh, it's salvation, was that God is not counting our sins against us. That in Christ, we've been brought back into relationship with God. That a perfection that we could not attain, Jesus attained for us so we could be brought back into that perfect relationship. And 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, spells that out perfectly for us. It says, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God, this verse is amazing. Think about God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For God was in Christ, all of God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So, if you're sitting in this room today and you know Jesus, at one point you believe this as truth for yourself, right? That this is absolute truth and this is my salvation. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. So the gospel itself is forgiveness. So something that, that I realized was, if I truly believe the gospel, then what's true for me is just as true for the people who hurt me. Right? So in the gospel, in this perfect, simple gospel, I cannot do anything to earn anything from God. Right? Right? In, in all of my sin and everything, I can't do anything to ever make up for that. Yeah. Is that true? true? That's the gospel. Yeah. So if that true gospel is true for me, then it has to be true for people who hurt me, right? right? 
So, so when we are wronged, something has to happen to that wrong, right? Because we we're all made in the image of a just God, right? God is just. And so therefore, it's in our very nature to require justice. And if we do not accept the justice of the cross, we will seek to bring justice ourselves, which is revenge, right? Now, revenge apart from Jesus is always empty. It becomes an endless cycle because revenge apart from God is wrong. So every wrong done to bring revenge must itself receive justice. It becomes an endless cycle of evil trying to correct evil. So God knew this would happen and he had an answer. In Romans 12, 17 through 21, it says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So God says, do not take revenge. Like, that's a pretty straightforward command. I don't think there's any getting around that. That's like, do not do that, kids. <laughs> and then he says, it's mine to avenge. I will repay. So when we look closer at what that actually means, to avenge is to take care of the wrongdoer and to bring justice. To repay takes care of the one wronged and pays back what was lost. So Jesus did both of those things on the cross. Right? So the question is, will you accept Jesus' repayment plan when you're wronged? So I believe one of the biggest hindrances to forgiveness is that we don't want them to get away with it. Right? But I can tell you, no one gets away with anything. (laughs) Ask Jesus on the cross if they got away with that. And I think he'll tell you no. (laughs) I felt that. You know, I felt that. So Jesus paid for every sin on the cross. Forgiveness is not letting them get away with it. Forgiveness is an awareness of the lofty price that has already been paid for their sin. It's applying that simple gospel to their mistakes. So in the Old Testament, God gave us this really awesome story of what it looked like when Jesus took on our sin. And this is a, a very um, common story. So I, I hadn't put these things together until just a few months ago. And a few months ago, I was, um, I was really hurt, and I was struggling to forgive somebody. And it was one of those, I was just over and over, God, I forgive them, I just release them. And then the emotions would come flooding back. You guys know how that feels. And like, no, no, God, I forgive them, I release them. And they would come back, well... At one point, I, I was just like, I was at my desk working, and I just finally sat back, and I was like, okay, God, I forgive them. I just, I give that to you. And God spoke to me, and he said, I want you to paint the blood on the doorpost. I was like, okay. <laughs> what does that mean, you know? <laughs> well, so he, he took me to the Passover story that we know in Exodus 11 and 12. Um, so we're not going to go through this whole passage here. I think you guys probably know it. But this is when Moses went to Pharaoh, and he's saying, set my people free, right? And all the plagues came and everything. Well, there was this last really big bad plague that finally did the trick. 
Um, and that was that death was going to come, and the firstborn in every house had to die. Right? You guys know that story? So I'm going to read in Exodus 12, 3 through 8. I didn't give this to you, Kylie, because I'm going to kind of skip through. But just to get the gist of it, um, this is what was going on. It said, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. All the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the, house, of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat and roast it over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So this story is so rich in symbolism and everything we could spend just weeks just, just on this story. But I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. So the main thing to get here is that there was one lamb for each household. They, they ate of the meat and then they painted the blood on the doorpost. Okay, so Exodus 12, um, 12 through 13. On that same night, this is God speaking, he said, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you live, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Every firstborn in the land would die that night. But God provided a way out. So, I realized something I never realized before in this story. And that was that every single house was destined for the same fate. Every single house was going to have to, something was going to have to die in every house. You know, the Israelites weren't really exempt. Every house, someone had to die. Judgment had to happen in every single house. But God provided a way. And he spoke to his kids and he said, if you'll do this in obedience to me, if you'll take a lamb, slaughter it, eat the meat, do all these details, and paint the blood on the doorpost, that'll be a sign. What was that a sign of? That was a sign that death had already happened in that house. Right? That was a sign that, that, that a life had already been taken. The blood was just a sign of that. So when death came through to do justice, it, God said he was going to judge the gods of, of Egypt, right? The false gods, the idols. There was sin. God was going to come through and judge every house the same fate unless the penalty had already been paid. So, so God told me, paint the blood on the doorpost of that person who hurt you. So when I paint the blood on that doorpost, I'm saying, no, God, death has already been paid on their behalf. And death and judgment cannot enter their house. And I, I, I plead that over their entire house. There was one lamb per household. So not just that person, their entire house. That sign is there that Jesus did that on the cross. And so I'm not going to judge them because God isn't either. Right? There's nothing they could ever do to pay me back for the wrong. Nothing. It would be sin, paying back for sin, right? The only thing that really takes care of it, that really brings forgiveness, is the cross. <laughs> so, declaring the gospel over people is extremely powerful. 
God set it up so he only works on the earth through man's agreement. For instance, Abraham and Isaac, right? God needed a man to say, yes, I'll give my only son so that God could legally send Jesus for us, right? So God set it up that way here on earth. And so when we forgive, we are agreeing to the gospel in that person's life. God, God needs someone on the earth who will agree to the gospel. And I can tell you that when we agree with God, he can move because we, we give him permission. And he's like, that's exactly what I needed. And he moves in that person's life. They could have been stuck for years and years until you release the gospel over them. And then they can receive him. I know this firsthand. Because for years I, I said, Holy Spirit, I, I give you permission to work healing in my heart towards my dad. Towards my earthly father. And, and it, it's process. Years of process of forgiving and the Holy Spirit saying, how about this root? You know, take care of this one, you know. And just in his love and his goodness and, he, and forgiving over and over and over again. And I'm still in a lot of that process now. But I will never forget, I, I was living by myself at the time. I remember I was laying in my floor, and it was like the moment that it finally broke, the culmination of all those forgiving or forgiveness prayers that I'd been saying over my dad. And it finally hit this point, and I said, Father, forgive my dad. I don't hold anything against him because you don't either. Father, forgive my dad. I don't hold anything against him, and you don't either. Father, forgive my dad. I don't hold anything against him, and you don't either. And I fully released him, and I felt it break. Well, just a few months later, we had an event here. And my dad came to that event, and there was an altar call. And he responded to the altar call. And guess what? I happened to be on the, the ministry team that Sunday. So not only did he come up, I, he came up to me. And so we went in the back room, and I got to see him broken before the Lord and repent before him. I got to see my dad give his life to Jesus. And to see the transformation in his life, he's been in the word and and he feels called to raise up this little tiny country church and he preaches regularly in that church now. I have to wonder where he'd be if I would have held on to that. If I would have said, no, you have to owe me. But I would have been so empty. I would have been just as empty as he was. But is it worth it to you to truly believe the gospel? To truly believe that the cross is the only thing that can bring healing in your life? Who can you set free through your forgiveness? Who needs you to release them? And I have, I have story after story after story of things moving once I finally forgive. From big things like that to little things. Like, like if someone doesn't answer my text and it bothers me or whatever. You know? I do that with little things like that. I'm not, not joking. You can ask, ask me. <laughs> but I'm like, God, I just forgive them, you know? And it could have been hours. And I finally forgive. And then in, in the other room, ding. I'm not kidding, that happens to me all the time. It's almost comical, really. (laughs) But it's powerful. So forgiveness not only releases the power of the gospel over people and situations, it also releases you. 
So let's look at Matthew 6, 14 through 15. This is uh, Jesus speaking. This comes right after the Lord's Prayer. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So this is one of those verses I didn't really understand. And uh, just the other night, last week, I, I couldn't sleep, and I was just laying in bed thinking about forgiveness, and I was thinking about this verse. I was like, Father, I don't understand this verse. Would you please explain this to me? Because it seems contradictory, honestly. It seems to contradict the, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And it seems to contradict the, I can't earn anything deal, you know? I was like, I, sh- I don't get this. And it was one of those that I so didn't get it that I was like, hopefully it just will pass me <laughs> and I'll be okay, you know? Maybe he won't notice I didn't forgive, you know? <laughs> but, but God is so good and he wants us to understand his word, Right? If you have a question, just ask him. He wants us to understand. He wants us to get revelation daily out of his word. And so I, I just felt the Father say, what this means is when you don't forgive, you're denying the power of the gospel. And so if, if you refuse to accept the truth of the gospel for other people, you're actually positioning yourself to be measured by that same standard. So it's like, it's not God being mean or mad at you. You're actually violating spiritual law. Okay, so Matthew 7, uh, wait, is that the one we just did? No, Matthew 7, 1 through 5. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, uh, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Right? So, so what does that mean? That means if I am holding unforgiveness on someone, I'm, I'm basically saying what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough for that person. And so if I measure them by that standard, God is just, I'm going to be measured by that same standard too, so he actually can't release forgiveness on me. I'm denying the power of the gospel in my life when I deny it for other people. Romans 2, 1 through 4, says, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For whatever, whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, you, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. <clears throat> so, you're condemning yourself because you do the same things, right? And so Jesus actually, when he came, so there was the law, right? And the law had all these different rules and everything, and we kind of had the things that are the big sins, right? Like murder and, you know, name them, you know, all the big, big big ones, you know, that we would consider big sins. But when Jesus came, he actually leveled the playing field, and he raised the bar to let us know what sin really was. So, I skipped ahead, let's see, I have that verse somewhere. That was, oh, here we go, Matthew 5, I skipped ahead, Kylie. Matthew 5, let's look at verse 21. 
So Jesus is talking, this is where he levels the playing field, okay? He says, you've heard that your ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, even if you're angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. All right, verse 27, he says, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery, but I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, and Jesus continues like this with divorce, vows, revenge, and loving enemies. For each one, he says, but I say, and he raises the bar. That's not to freak us out. That's to say, we can't do it apart from the cross. Right? Right? That's not pressure on us. That's more like, wow, I need a savior. Right? And so, so in that leveling, I want to, I want to touch on something that I believe is a really strong hindrance to forgiveness, okay? And that's this thought of, but you don't know what they did to me. Specifically, I want to talk about the disqualification of comparison. So it's where we believe my life is actually harder than yours. What I've endured is way worse. Like, I can see how you can forgive, but I can't do that. Right? And this is going to maybe be one of those things that doesn't feel too good, but I feel it's really important. And I feel it's going to bring a lot of freedom. Okay. So let's look at, at Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. To answer this question, let's look at Jesus, okay? So Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So from that we learn that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he was without sin. Do you guys believe that's true? Yeah. And he's able to empathize with our every weakness, right? So how is that possible? If, if Jesus lived a different life than I did, how is that possible? So I'd like to take a look at, at Jesus' childhood here. Um, we're going to kind of lay some things out and then bring it all together. So when we look at Jesus' childhood, we have just a few things about how he was raised, right? We know that, um, I, I feel like he had pretty good parents. You know, they were, they were human, but I think they did a decent job. Um, we know that they loved God, and they were devout to God, and, and um, so really the only story we have is in Luke 2, 41 through 52, and that's the story when his family had been in Jerusalem for the Passover, they left and were traveling for a day, and his parents were like, have you seen Jesus? Oh my gosh, <laughs> and they realized he'd been left back at Jerusalem, so they're like, oh my goodness, and, and they, they go back and look for him, it says they looked for him for three days, Talk about a freaking out parent. <laughs> Looking for their kid. He's 12 years old, but still, you know, he's not quite an adult in our terms. Maybe he's in Hebrew. I don't know. Anyways, so they're looking for him, and they're freaking out. And finally, they find him in the temple. And his mom says, I, we've been anxiously looking for you. <laughs> I think that's the nice way of saying, we were freaking out. <laughs> Where have you been, son? <laughs> and, and we all know that Jesus replied, and he was like, why would you be looking for me? I was in my father's house. 
I bet he was like, dang, Mom, what's the deal? I was like, just hang out with my homie, Scott. <laughs> so, so in my opinion, if, he had, if Jesus had negligent parents, I don't think they would be anxiously looking for him, right? I think, so I think they were decent, well-meaning parents, right? So, okay, but yet Jesus was tempted in every way just as I am, and he can empathize with my every weakness. So is, were Jesus' parents divorced? No. No, Joseph was a stepdad because he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and Mary, right? But as far as we know, his parents were together and they loved God. So how in the world could Jesus empathize with me if he grew up in a Christian home with parents together? How can he empathize with me whose parents were divorced? How is that possible unless the temptation is actually separate from my circumstances? The whole thing? <laughs> how, how is it possible for Jesus to empathize with me unless the temptation is actually separate from the circumstance? So let's look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. This says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I like the New Living translation. It says the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure it. So in reality... If this word is true, my temptation to forgive and your temptation, or my temptation not to forgive and your temptation not to forgive are actually the same, regardless of the seeming weight of the sin against us. So like we said earlier in Matthew 5, Jesus levels the playing field on sin. He said, hey, it's all, it's all the same, right? Murder and hate and adultery and looking at someone wrong, all of that is actually the same. So why did Jesus do that? Because he knew there would only be one cross. There wasn't a small, medium, and a large cross. <laughs> there, there wasn't a tall, venti, grande <laughs> cross. <laughs> There was just one. James 2, 10 through 11 says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. And if you do commit adultery, but do commit murder, you become a lawbreaker. So we cannot accept the lie that our circumstances disqualify us from forgiving. The child from a Christian home faces the same temptations as the orphan on the street. If that's not true, if that is not true, Jesus would have had been an abused, orphaned, drug abuse, molested child to be able to empathize with some people.
So the belief that your circumstances are too bad to forgive is actually a lie from the enemy to keep you stuck. So please understand me, I am not minimizing or demeaning your pain. Pain is very real. The reality is pain is real. That's why we need the cross. And I'm also not saying that what you experienced was God's best, nor was everything you experienced his will for your life. I am saying that nothing you experienced is bigger than the cross. And every wrong that happened to you was brought to justice and healing through Jesus' sacrifice. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's a choice. Forgiveness is faith in the gospel. Now when I say these things, I know that forgiveness is not easy because we deal with emotions, right? And forgiveness can be one of the hardest things we can ever do. And it can feel very sacrificial at times. But, but I would just like to encourage you that, that like you believe in faith for healing in your body, because you believe the truth that by his stripes you're healed. Believe in faith for forgiveness, because on the cross, Jesus brought justice. Right? And so you can believe in faith for your healing in your physical body even while symptoms are raging. Right? Even before there's any physical evidence of that change, you can still believe it in faith. Faith is that substance of the things we hope for, and it's the evidence of the things we don't see. Right? And so in the same way, when we forgive, we can do that in faith too. That even while our emotional symptoms are still raging, in faith, you can say, no, the cross took care of that. And I believe that the, the truth of the cross is even greater than the truth of my emotions right now. And just bring it over and over, and he's faithful, and he's kind, and, and he gives us grace to forgive the big things and the small things. So, I had some stuff on recognizing when we need to forgive, but I think I'm just going to skip that. And let's just go ahead and stand. You know, I think we can, we can uh, experience symptoms of unforgiveness and, and different triggers and stuff like that, but deep down in our hearts, heart of hearts, I feel like we know when there's someone that we need to release. And like I said before, this is something you may do over and over and over again. Right? Jesus said 70 times seven times. And so let's just pray together. So Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you that you sent your son to be that price for us. To be the price for the people who hurt us. That we don't have to carry the weight and burden of revenge. So God, right now, we just release to you and we give you permission to do your avenging and your repaying. And Father, we choose to receive your repayment plan. Amen. Because you not only did the justice part on the cross, you did the healing part on the cross. And there's no wound that's too deep that you can't heal in me. And so I just want to give us all an opportunity right now, if there is someone specific that's coming to mind, let's just, in our hearts, let's just release that person
So Jesus, in faith, we declare the gospel is true over this person. And we paint the blood on the doorpost of their home. And we, we say that death and judgment can't go in there because the penalty of death has already been paid through Jesus. And so we just fully release them to you and we release them to the cross and we look to the same cross for our personal healing. And Holy Spirit, I just invite you right now just to minister your, the healing that you purchased on the cross to your people right now. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And Father, we just receive your grace to do this habitually. That we are like you, we're made in your image and you're, you're changing us daily to restore us to your original perfect design. And so Father, we just receive your grace to be just like you and for forgiveness to become a habit. So thank you, Father, we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.